We're running out of this mic, and we're going to need it in a second. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the porch. I'm Justin, and I'm multitasking. I got it. I'm good. Thank you, Casey. So, as you just saw, we just went on a, a mission trip. High schoolers, uh, the Stir crew went to New Orleans, Louisiana. And if you know anything about New Orleans, it is a city that we love, and, and we've been uh, several times, but it's a city of great need. And so we went uh, a couple of weeks ago, can't believe it's been two weeks already, and uh, just ministered to that city and did all kinds of stuff. But y'all, it was hot. I don't want to hear about South Georgia heat. I want to hear about that below sea level heat. It was like an oven. Um, sometimes the heat index was up at 125, 126. No joke. Uh, we about had a few uh, fall out. Ben Holly, where you at? You good? Everybody's good? Ben, love you, Ben. We had to, we had to minister unto Ben at some point. Like Ben was about to like go back like, you know, plank. So, and, I, and a whole bunch of others. Me, myself, I'm like, dog, I'm used to the heat. This is hot. But um, what we want to do um, is we want to share with you uh, from kind of the heart of a couple students just what we experienced. So I'm going to ask Micah and Aniston to go ahead and come up. Micah Christian and Aniston Groom are going to come and, and share real quick just a couple of testimonies. We just love to do this because, church, isn't it great just to hear just from the heart of a student, right? Um, kind of how they saw God working and moving uh, among us. So, Mike, I'm going to let you go first. Um, I'm Mike, a Christian. I've been with the porch since it started. Um, this is my second time going to New Orleans with, uh, with the church. Um, I think the, I was a little uneasy, a little um, excited about this trip. I didn't know what God had in store for me. Um, it's definitely um, something I had to trust in him about because I didn't know what week had. Um, but um, I think uh, I know the goal was to serve the people of New Orleans and serve God. But I think this trip changed changed me just because it gave me more faith, gave me more faith, uh, just to um, put my trust in Him. But um, one of the things we did at New Orleans um, was a block party, and um, you know our job was serving food and just having fun and um, playing with kids and all that. But um, the biggest part about that block party was while we were doing all that background stuff, the um, Church of Avondale was able to go out in the community and just uh, spread the gospel. Um, and I feel like um, the kingdom of God just got bigger that, um, that night. Um, but one thing that stood out to me at that block party was, you know, a young guy came up, grabbed a bag of chips, and um, Emery, one of our leaders, uh, asked him, you know, do you live in the neighborhood or... Um, um, was he from the neighborhood? And he, his response was just, um, he was living in the woods at the time. And it's just like, it stuck with me because he was only, I think, 19 years old, like I said. And um, that's two years older than me. It's just, it made me realize that like, I could be in that situation. Like, that could have been me. Um, and I think um, it just made uh, handing out hot dogs and hamburgers just feel so little at the time. And uh, in light of what uh, we could truly do for him. And he was one of many homeless people we met on that trip. But um, I had uh, this um, verse shared with me. And um, I think it applies to not only my life, but the things that happened in this trip. Um, in Philippians 1.6, Paul uh, states, 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I think that um, applies to everything that happened in um, New Orleans. You know, I think the things that might seem small or might seem so little, um, and you might wonder, like, how could that help or make a difference in any way? And I think uh, that verse really um, just sums it all up that, that no matter what you, no matter what we did, no matter how, how small you think it is, that um, God will uh, reveal His love and show Himself to them. And um, I just want to ask the church to be in prayer for all those people, that young man that we met, and all the homeless people, and of course all the interactions that happened on that trip that week. That um, you would just pray that um, that um, God will um, complete what He started that week. And um, yeah, thank you. I'm Aniston Groom. I just graduated from Lowndes High, and um, this was my third mission trip with the Sir Youth Group. And um, even though it may have been my third one, it literally left. It literally leaves like such an impact on me every time I go because it shows the need of like how much people need love, and like just a little light can like just brighten a person's day. And um, so. We did a lot that week, and um, so I was with Group B, Sutherland, and um, our group was awesome, and Carson, and um, so our first day, we helped out with Pastor Collins, and we helped clean chairs, and we just helped, like, do his church and, like, clean it up and paint some parking lines, and um, and then the afternoon, we got the opportunity to go out and do some street ministry, and I really love street ministry because it kind of, like, lets you go out and be bold, and, like, even though, like, me, my first year I went, this was my second trip to New Orleans. When we went back in 2021, I was terrified, and I was with Allison, but she kept telling us, like, Look for things, like, that God reveals to you that, like, that'll stick out in your mind. And I was like, okay. So we go out into the streets, and I'm, even though it's been a minute since we've done street ministry, I tried, I was like, I'm going to be bold. Like, I cannot be scared going on this trip. So me and Abby Reichard walk up to this one man, and his name was June. And he had a cowboy, cowboy fan hat on. And I was like, me and Abby were just talking to him, and um, he loves Cowboys baseball. So, if you're a Cowboys fan, yay. Anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, but we got talking to this man, and it was just like us talking to him, like, lit up his day, and his hand was swollen, and we were like, we're going to pray for you. Like, we're going to come back, and it's going to be healed. And he was like, yeah, da, da, da. So, anyways, going throughout the week, we got to go back on Thursday, and something, I was with Allison, and we were walking around, just like doing our tourist day, and I was like, and we had like 10 minutes left, and all I wanted to go do was buy a New Orleans t-shirt, but then I was like, okay, I don't need a t-shirt, so then we walked, and I was like, okay, something keeps telling me to go back where we saw this man, so we went back, and he was there, and he, we literally walked in, and his face just lit up, and he kept asking where Abby was, who knows where Abby was, probably shopping, <laughs> but I told her that we were still praying for him and stuff, and um, it was kind of ironic because something just kept telling me to go over there, and we were like passing out lunches, so we went over there, passed out our lunch, and we gave him our, his lunch, and we had like, what would Jesus do bracelets, and we just handed those out, and it's just like the light on their faces just like literally lit up, and it inspires me so much because I would love to come back and bring that back to our community, and we got that chance last year, and it just, it really hit me in my heart because I was like, these people really don't have anything, and um, 
us coming really showed them, you know. And then, um, and ironically, I'm almost done, I promise. And <laughs> we were over there. This is just, if you look at the pictures up here, you see pictures with birds on our heads. I had the Jesus Loves Me shirt on, and this lady comes up to me, and she goes, she literally, it's me, Lane, and Tanya, and she just throw bird, throws birds on us, and we're like, uh, okay. And she's like, no pictures, like, I'm going to have to charge you. And I was like, oh, we're not going to take any pictures. She's like, just for the name on your shirt, I will give you the picture for free. And we were like, I was like, oh, I was like, holy moly. But anyways, I'm done now. But um, the week left a really good impact on me, and um, I really want to bring that and share it with my community. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, always love hearing our students. Um, they're, they're so funny. Like, they don't mean to be funny. They're just funny, like all of them. I could have I asked any person on the trip to do what they just did. There's so many testimonies, uh, but unfortunately, we only had time for two, but um, yeah, we love you guys, and uh, that's just a little small glimpse of what we saw happen there, and of course, you know, we always say that going off and serving in a, in a, in a city that's not home trains us for coming home and, and loving on the city that we live in, Correct. Like, it does no good for us to go to New Orleans and tell people about Jesus and, and, and try to meet the needs there uh, and if we don't come home and, and, and try to make an impact in the city that we're, we're in all the time, right? So that's just, a, just a, a, a challenge there for all of us. Whether you go on a mission trip, official mission trip or not, you are on the mission field in Lowndes County every single day at work, school, everything you do is a mission field. And, and, and if you, if you and what, what a trip like this would do for us, hopefully, is we get to see our hometown as a mission field instead of just the place that we live and everyone knows us good and bad and ugly. Like, we just see it as um, our spot that God has given us to minister to people. Amen? So, all right. So we are actually in a series, the book of Acts this morning. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We are in week 12, I believe, week 12. Um, I've lost count, uh, but hopefully it has been a great series um, for you and for me. Um, of course, we're walking through this book. It's the early days of the, the church, the Christian church, after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven. His disciples were all over the place, um, spreading the gospel. Um, the church was growing in number, um, and, and it was all because of the Holy Spirit's power and working in those few, um, those huddled few that um, started out in that upper room when the Holy Spirit blew in there through through there like a rushing wind and and we, we know the rest is history. Here we are, part, in, in, in part because of this book that we're walking through. So we're in chapter 9. I, I love this. This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite passages in the whole Bible. Acts chapter 9 is the conversion of Saul. Now, you may know him better as the Apostle Paul. Saul and Paul are the same person, right? Saul was his Roman name because he was from Tarsus, and Tarsus was uh, under Roman rule. So technically, and Paul would kind of throw this card out later on when he was preaching to the Romans, I'm a Roman citizen. 
And yet he was a Jew through and through. In fact, he was really high up in uh, the Jewish religious leadership. Um, We just heard um, about Saul in a previous chapter, in chapter 7, where we saw the first Christian martyr, Stephen, be stoned to death. And guess who was overseeing the proceedings? Paul. Saul, actually. Paul, Saul. He went by both, but he was known in the Jewish community as Saul. So we want to start, we just want to read the first nine verses here, um, and we'll, we'll uh, break this down real quick. It says, um, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the, what the early church was called, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. and For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, as I said before, Saul was uh, high up in the ranks of the Jewish religious establishment, and, and he was feared by early Christians. He was, he was feared. Obviously, he stood there, and he pretty much signed off on and gave authority, uh, in part, to carry out the first killing of a early Christian, the first martyr, who was Stephen, who we, we looked at a couple of weeks ago in chapter 7. Saul, the persecutor, as he was known to some, was traveling to Damascus. Damascus is about 135, 140 miles north of Jerusalem, and um, five, six-day journey on foot. But he, we know he was on a, a, an animal, probably not a horse, probably a donkey. Um, Saul essentially um, was going to hunt down early Christians, right? He was either going to kill them or imprison them. So you, you, know the, the, you see the mindset of this guy. And so suddenly he sees this flash of bright light. He falls to the ground. He hears the voice of Jesus, although he isn't you know, quite aware of it yet. Jesus calls him by name, which is, I think, significant here. Calls him by name. And he asks, why are you persecuting me? Now, that ought to give you a, 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 a window into God's heart. When God's people are persecuted... God himself is persecuted. When, when Jesus' when Jesus's disciples are, are persecuted, Jesus himself is being persecuted as well. In other words, you persecute my people, you're persecuting me as well. You hurt my people, you're hurting me as well. And Saul's response is interesting. Who are you, Lord? Now, this is kind of commonly, mis, it, it's a misconception. Who are you, Lord? We think of Lord, we think of Jesus, right? But Lord might have been uh, interpreted, who are you, sir, right? Who are you, sir? 
And, and the Lord said, I am Jesus. And then Saul is confronted. And this is really, really important. The first thing Saul that happens to Saul is a blinding light. He, he falls to the ground. We don't know if he knocked to the ground or he puts himself on the ground. Either way, he's on the ground and he's confronted with something. He's confronted with his sin. It's really important. He's confronted with his sin. Then Jesus gives him instructions, go into the city, Damascus, and await instruction. So Paul's blind at this point and had to be led around by his companions who heard something but didn't see anything. And the Bible says he didn't eat or drink for three days. Now that three days is important too. We see that throughout Scripture, correct? How many days was it until Jesus rose from the dead? Three. There's significance in that number. It's kind of a, a paralleling Jesus' own resurrection. For three days, no food, no, no, nothing to drink, and he was blind. So a word of clarification, though. So when, we, when I say, if I say Saul or Paul, for our sake this morning, I'm referring to the same person, right? There is no, there is a before and after, but we're not going to, we don't want to make the mistake of saying it was, he was Saul before and Paul after. He, he went by both names. In fact, later on, we will see that the early Christian brothers that um, helped him regain his sight and, and sent him on his way to preach called him Brother Saul. So we don't want to go Saul before and he just ceased to be Saul. He continued to be Saul in the, in the Jewish community, but God called him to preach to non-Jews, Gentiles, as the Bible would say. And so the Roman and Asian uh, uh, world knew him as Paul, which was his Roman name. Does that make sense? Just a little... Bible nerd, nerd out history for you. I love this stuff. Um, Paul was from Tarsus, which was a Roman province, okay? Um, and he persecuted, killed, imprisoned many early Christians, right? So Saul his, was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Um, he was born in Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He evangelized the Roman world eventually, and the Jews knew Saul well, and they were afraid. They were right to be afraid, actually. So Saul and Paul, for our purposes, are the same person. Now, we want to get to the rest of the story because this is the meat of it here. Verses, starting in verse 10, this is what it says. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, saying, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, which is him, come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He regained his strength. Now, at the same time as, as Paul is having his encounter with Jesus, God spoke to Ananias in Damascus and, and told him to go to the street called Straight. Now, little history for you. The street called Straight, it still exists. It's in Damascus. Damascus is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, continually inhabited cities on the planet. Right? It's ancient. And Straight Street is the oldest, they say, continuously inhabited and continuously used street in the world. It's still used today. Street called Straight or Straight Street there in Damascus. In Damascus. God used Ananias to restore Saul's sight. And it says scales, something like scales fell from his eyes. Now this is literal and figurative, right? When we talk about someone, their eyes being open to the gospel and accepting Christ as their Savior, we talk about the scales being removed from their eyes or the blinders coming off, right? That's, it's kind of how it's like, right? Even if you grow up in church your whole life, right? You hear about Jesus. Most of us heard about Jesus when we were really little. And yet, we had physical blinders, uh, spiritual blinders on, and then one day, hopefully, one day, when you were 12 or 19 or 25, or one day, the spiritual scales fell from your eyes. When you understood, finally understood, when I finally understood that this Jesus was real, that he loved me, that he died for my sin, that without him I'm lost and without hope. And I place my trust in him, and I, I, I gain atonement and forgiveness for my sin because of what he has done. Then the spiritual scales fall from the eyes, correct? Then you're able to see, spiritually speaking. But this is literal and figurative, right? Holds a lot of symbolism. The point is, listen, he was transformed. His heart was different. All of a sudden, he was a different person. And he would spend the rest of his life going a completely different way than what he was doing before he fell from the animal he was riding and he was blinded. See, he was changed. His heart was changed. He was no longer Saul the persecutor. He became Brother Saul, or as the rest of the world would know him, and we know him, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 75, 80% of the New Testament. The greatest preacher who would ever live not named Jesus. This is who we're talking about. How in the world could someone go from being a, 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 a fierce enemy of Jesus to being his greatest champion here on earth, right? This is, this is a, number one, it gives us hope that no one is beyond saving. No one. God can and will save anyone anytime from anything. So you think about that family member or that friend that you know that you think is too far gone. In, in, in reality, in our way of thinking, Saul was too far gone. 
And yet, God had a specific plan for him. Transformation, listen to this, is the distinguishing feature of a born-again Christian. Transformation. Transformation is the distinguishing feature of someone who calls himself a Christian. You cannot, I cannot in good faith call myself a Christian if there is no transformation in my life. If I am the same as I was before, then I don't know Jesus. Amen? It's, it's, a, it's a fact. There is no way that the Holy Spirit can come and live in me and me not be changed. There is no way I can submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and not be changed. Now, all of us in here are going, man, some days I just feel like the old me, and I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, right? That, we're going to have days like that. We're going to have moments like that where we struggle with sin, and we struggle with sin habits, and we, the old me pops up, rears his ugly head, right? The old me is going to rear up every now and again. But my heart is forever changed, and the Holy Spirit's working in me, and transformation is a process. It's gradual. But here, it was both instantaneous and gradual at the same time. It is both instantaneous and gradual. Because the moment I got up from, from praying a prayer in my room at 16 to receive Christ as my, as my Savior, I grew up in church my whole life. The moment I got up from that prayer and said amen, my heart was different. My heart was different. Now, the angels didn't come down singing out of heaven, right? The, you know, the seas weren't parted, right? There was no thunder or mighty rushing wind. But I'm telling you, in my heart, there was plenty of that going on. I was different. And anyone in here who's accepted Christ as their Savior and taken his sacrifice for their sin and accepted that for who he is knows what that is like. You know that. Now, and now you may not be able to point to a date, a, a, a day, a time, a year even, right? But you can point to a moment where the heart was different. Can't you? You can point to the moment where your heart changed. And for you, it might seem like it was a gradual thing. And then one day, you just kind of stepped into a relationship with Jesus there's, it doesn't have to be as stark. You see, the, the bottom line is what happened to Saul of Tarsus should happen to all of us. Not in the, in the, in the manner that it happened. No one's going to get thrown from an animal, hopefully, blinded for three days, not eat, and have this dram it, it, the, the circumstances will be different. But listen, the transformation better be the same. The circumstances of our salvation and our, our, our stepping into relationship with Jesus and following Jesus are going to all vary in here. But it all results in transformation. Amen? All of it. All of it. And I'm being transformed daily. Paul would write about this in his, in his later letters. Transformation is the distinguishing feature of a born-again Christian. If there is no transformation, there is no Jesus in your life. There's no Jesus in my life. I, can't call my, I can call myself a cultural Christian who attends church and does good deeds and goes on mission trips 
and tries not to, you know, ruffle feathers and, and tries to be nice to everyone and try to love everybody. But that's not the gospel. Christianity's not about being nice to people. Christianity's not about uh, uh, um, patting them on the back and, and condoning everything that they do. Christianity's not about, um, you know, just making people feel good. It's not. Paul was confronted. Paul was confronted with his sin. And, and y'all, at 16 years old, in my room for the very first time, the weight of my sin came crashing down on me. I was confronted with my sin. For the first time, I understood what that sacrifice means. And that cross, for me, the weight of my sin came crashing down. Several years later, Paul, in a letter to his young disciple, Timothy wrote this as he reflected back on his transformation. I want you to hear this. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the what? The worst. This is, what Paul, this is how Paul saw himself. He saw himself as the worst Christian, the worst sinner on the face of the planet. Now, he had a history but at the time of this writing, he certainly was not the worst Christian, the worst sinner, sorry, on the planet. But he saw himself that way. And that is a, that is a, um, that is a, a window into how we should see ourselves. Not self-deprecating, not trashing ourselves in our minds and, and low self-esteem. But we need to understand the reality that in my world, I am the worst sinner. In my world, I am Christ died to, came sinner, to, to save sinners whom, of whom I am the worst. That is a healthy, hear me, that is a healthy way to view the gospel. Because if you don't see yourself as a, a person of desperate need, and I, and I was an enemy of God before I met Jesus. If we don't see ourselves that way, the gospel will have no effect in our lives. Right? The worse, the heavier the weight of the sin, the greater the glory and the relief when the sin is taken away and done away with. Amen? This is what the gospel is about. It's about transformation. And I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work and move in me to change me. Because if I don't, I can pin the Holy Spirit in, into a broom closet inside my heart. And, and, and then I can continue on living the way I want to for a time. And God will allow that. God will allow it for a time. But if I truly know Jesus as my Savior, like I claim to, then transformation will be the result. Amen? It's, it's called sanctification. We're just becoming more like Jesus. This same guy who just a little while back was spewing out threats, murderous threats towards Christians. Like I'm, uh, we're going to round them up. We're going to kill them. We're going to imprison them. All that. This same guy, what, uh, what a change. Why? Because he had truly encountered Jesus. This is how a person changes. You don't change. Th this sermon is not going to change you. 
Coming to worship every Sunday is not going to change you. I, I don't have any power. Shannon, we don't have any power to change you. But hopefully, in the coming and gathering, we encounter Jesus. Hopefully, in the consistency of coming and gathering this community, we're going we're gonna to have an encounter with Jesus this morning and, and next Sunday and the following Sunday and in your, in your community groups and other, and, and other things in, in NOLA. Hopefully, did we not encounter Jesus in New Orleans? We did. You know, you come face to face with Jesus when you look into the eyes of someone who lives on the streets. You come face to face with Jesus. You're looking him in the eye. Because Jesus is for all people. And Jesus most certainly is for what we call the least of these. The least of these. When you look at someone who's homeless, who's without hope, in the eye, you're looking into the face of Christ. You're looking into Jesus' face. And what will you do? What will you do? Well, the Holy Spirit will stir us up to do all kinds of things that are out of our character. And the old person that would have just passed that person by is now compelled to do something. Now compelled by the gospel to do something. We're compelled to do something because of the change in our heart. I, I said a few weeks ago um, that the greatest miracle that we can see in our, in our time is the transformation of the human heart. That is the greatest miracle that God performs. Yes, God will take cancer away. Yes, God will heal physically. But God, more than that, wants to heal spiritually. The greatest miracle is the transformed heart. This conversion of Saul in this chapter, chapter 9, is one of the greatest miracles that we can read about in Scripture. It's the miracle of redemption. It's the gift of salvation, which is the spiritual healing of the heart. A person who was once lost is now found. The Damascus Road conversion of Paul is a profound miracle. Saul the persecutor became Paul the preacher in an instant. In an instant. Now, did he have all? He, he didn't spend three years with Jesus. Remember, he just encountered him in his mind by chance on the Damascus Road. Listen to this. He knew all the, the religious law of the Jews but he, the gospel was revealed to him in an instant. Jesus showed up and revealed himself. And when Jesus shows up and you, you encounter the living Christ, you will be changed. You'll be, you'll be changed. The gospel will be imparted to you, into your heart, and implanted in there. And you'll be different. You'll be different. Now, your friends and your family might see a gradual change, and hopefully they do. But the heart is changed immediately. He was transformed. Transformation is the distinguishing feature of a born-again Christian. Transformation. The question is, um, friends, have you been transformed by an encounter with Jesus? Can you ever recall a moment where you, you, you stopped being a churchgoer and you became a Christ follower? Can you ever re recall a moment where you threw away your religi religiosity 
and you threw away, not that that's bad, but you set it aside for the true gospel, which is that Christ came and died for sinners, of whom I am the worst. See, you can get real caught up in religious stuff. You can get caught up in religious activity. We, we're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. Religious activity, we're, we're like eat up with it around here. We are. People just go to church. But if, if the statistic is correct, over half the people that attend church on Sunday morning don't know Jesus. Have never, ever had an encounter with the living Christ. If that's true, then it is time to go back and experience Jesus personally for yourself. And for those of us in the room who, who have accepted Christ as their Savior, maybe back when you were 12, 13, 14, it's time to allow the Holy Spirit to renew that sense of awe and wonder, the blinding light, as it were, the blinding light spiritually where the scales fell off the eyes. I, love, I talk about my, my salvation uh, experience a lot. My students hear it all the time. They're tired of it. They, can, they probably can quote. But like, I have to talk about it and go back to it because it, it refreshes my soul. I go back to it because it reminds me how lost I was before. I go back to it because it reminds me that I was an enemy of God and without hope. Without hope. I was a church kid. I was a good kid. I never really got, I didn't have a, a wild side. I never had a, a fall off the, the, the deep end kind of, I, I just, I didn't. God spared me from that. But even as a good kid, a Christian kid in a Christian home, I was lost. You see what I mean? There has got to be a moment where, I, where, the, where who Jesus is and what he did hits me like a Mack truck. And then I fall to my knees. I'm confronted. I'm converted. And then I'm commissioned to go. I'm confronted with my sin. I'm not, I can't run from it anymore. I'm converted. I, I, God, God changes my heart. I'm transformed. And then I'm commissioned to go. This is exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. Have I been transformed or am I merely informed, right? Religious information. Do I know all the stuff? I can quote Bible verses. Man, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm posting the stuff, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm doing all the, the, the Christian, the cultural Christian stuff. And I know, and I, and I, I memorized, uh, you know, whole parts of the Bible and stuff. And I, and I know the stuff. And I grew up in church, and I know that Jesus loves me. This I know. I know that. You can know your Bible. Listen, it is possible to know your Bible and still not know the central figure of the biblical story. It's, it's possible. A lot of people do. Saul was a religious expert in Jewish law. He knew it backwards and forwards, and yet his heart was so far from the, from, from the, the intent that God had for that Jewish law. To renew the mind and make way for Jesus to come. Paul was so far from that. He'd missed it. He'd missed the Messiah altogether. But Jesus showed up 
to Saul of Tarsus that day. You can possess a lot of religious information and know your Bible, but not know the central person of the biblical story. It's about knowing Jesus. Philippians 3, this is what Paul would later write. Philippians 3, 10, and 11 says, I want to know Christ. Listen, listen to this. Don't miss this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. That's all I want to know. This was years after his conversion on the Damascus Road. He's, he's still talking about it. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. To know Christ is to be transformed by Christ. Transformation is the distinguishing feature that separates the church goer from the Christ follower. And hopefully this morning, you're, you, you, maybe you personally are coming to grips with the fact that you might just be a church goer. You might just be a cultural Christian. Maybe, just maybe. A room this size, there's a good chance. A room this size is a very good chance that you've been in church all your life and you're just now realizing that it's going to take more than just coming to church and giving some money or, or doing some good deeds or going on a mission trip to understand that, that, that w w without the grace of Jesus Christ through his shed blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without that, we're just Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. The rest of the story is incredible. In verses 20 through 22, it talks about the fact that Paul immediately, immediately says at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Immediately. As soon as his sight was restored. Listen, as soon as his sight was restored. Three days. Three days from getting knocked off the donkey, so to speak, and being blinded. Three days. When he regained his sight, he began to preach. Paul would later describe so perfectly what a life of a person who's been transformed looks like. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is the heartbeat of every person that has had a true encounter with Jesus. Listen to me. This is the heartbeat. Christ takes over the heart, the mind, the actions, the words, and we become, listen, different people. We become different. Not perfect, but striving towards the goal of becoming like Jesus. A true saving encounter with Jesus will change you. It'll change you. Once we accept God's grace for us and, and, and what Jesus did on Calvary and decide to follow Jesus, we will not be the same. We cannot be the same. We're, we're buried with Christ and resurrected a new creature. Memory verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, 
all things have become new. That's anyone who is in Christ. Anyone. Meaning anyone who is in an encounter with Jesus and repented of their sin, they are a new person. Brand new, transformed, forever changed. What happened to Paul that day should happen for everybody. It should happen for all of us. Transformation is the distinguishing feature of a born-again Christian. Now, the fruit of that transformation and the process is foremost love. They will know we are Christians by the way we love each other. But transformation must happen. That process is called sanctification, and it begins today. Listen, it begins today. So transformation is both instantaneous and gradual. But God is a, a pursuing God. Listen, God is always pursuing the human heart. God seeks to transform you. He wants to change you. It doesn't matter if, you've, if you're a, a pre-Christian or you're someone who's known Jesus for many years. The offer still stands. The offer still stands this morning. Maybe you're a Christian, longtime Christian, and you've just kind of drifted away from the life that Christ has for you. Transformation can happen for you today. God can change you. God can do a work in you this morning. Oh, I hope that God does a work in me this morning. When I leave, when I walk out those doors, my prayer is that I am different, that I'm not the same, that I'm not the same, that I'm a little closer to Jesus than I was when I walked in. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Jesus, your gospel has power. It is the only thing that can transform a heart. It is the only thing that can change someone. It's the only thing that can take a dead man and make him alive. It's the only thing that can make an enemy of God into the greatest preacher who ever lived. Jesus, that's the power of the gospel. Father, I pray that in the next few moments we're confronted with our sin, that we will be open to the beauty of repentance, that will seek your face, and that we'll know true transformation that will leave the old person behind, that will pick up the new life that you have for all of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.